Another exciting day here at Vertical as we uh, talk about what God is about in our lives, what his word has to say. And you're going to hear another story today, powerful story of what God has done, something fresh that God has done. And this is his desire. His desire is to free us, to walk in greater peace, greater power, greater confidence, And I'm not talking about just in a Sunday sense. I'm talking about into the very real areas of your life, into your personal heart, your own life, into your marriage, into your work, into the pursuits he has for you, that his word, his spirit, his power might lead you into all of that. And he is more than able to do it exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ask or think. The thing is, whatever impossibilities you now face in your life. And for every one of us, there are those spaces, those moments where it seemingly comes up against, I don't see how God could fill in the blank. I don't see how this could change in my life. That moment right there, that impossibility, that difficulty, that thing that you pray, that thing that you hope for, that thing that you thought and wondered, maybe that thing you've given up on, that thing right there is where God wants to do his work in the impossibilities. And he has made it possible through the death of his son and the resurrection of his son to say he has overcome it all and is able to do all. Amen? Amen. The thing is, you and I have to be willing when he calls our name to walk out of our past, to walk out of our grave, to walk out of where we've been, to walk out of that habit, to walk out of that old way of thinking, to walk out of all the believing that it's impossible. And he calls your name for you to come out of that place. You and I have to have the courage and the faith to step out into that spot and believe him. Because he is more than able, but he is also waiting for you to take the step. He's more than able but you have to take the step. Now, I get it. Maybe you've been around some environments and a home and a church and some other places where it's hard for you to trust. It's hard for you to believe it could be true. It's hard for you to have faith. I get all that. The world's crazy enough these days. We've all lived in some places and experiences that have proven you can't put your hope in people. But there is one who says, I know you've been hurt. I know you've been wounded. I know you've been through trauma, but you can trust me, Jesus says. And it's time to walk forward into his space and leave where you've been. Again, I get it if you say, that's just so tough for me to let go. Because when we're hurt, man, we want to put up our trauma protection system. We want to keep some walls up. We want to keep some barriers up. We have our trust issues. And we don't want to let people in. We don't want to let people see what's going on. We don't want to venture out of our safe space. But those trust issues, if you don't deal with them on the horizontal by addressing the vertical, you'll never find the peace out here. You'll never find the hope out there. And Jesus says, let me, let me have you. Let me hold 
Let me protect. Let me be the one you trust. I promise you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Our message today is short, but the story is powerful. We're calling this today Trust Issues because we all can relate in some way. And Jesus invites us to let him have our trust issues so that the only issue we have is in him. We trust in him. And here's the way Jesus said it in Matthew. He said it this way. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He says, if you want to come after me, if you want to experience the life I have for you, then you have to deny all of the control features that you've put in place, all of the barriers, all of the protection, all of the false front, all of the pretending, all of the religious mask, all that stuff. Deny yourself of all of that. Take up your cross. Be willing to lay all of that down in exchange for following me. Come right after me. Come where I go. Do what I do. Let go of all that stuff because it's wearing you out. You're not getting anywhere. You're trying to control you. You're trying to control what happens in you. You're trying to control other people. You're trying to control your circumstances. You're trying to keep it all safe because you don't want to let go of control. I get it. But Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you have to let go of the control. You've got to give up your trust issues. You've got to let go of all that stuff. And you can't say, oh, I don't have any trust issues with Jesus. It's just people I have trust issues with. I get it. But when you put your trust in the one who is able, you'll find all of those trust issues that you have with people and situations and controlling your own life drop. And you'll find yourself trusting him in all of those spaces. And you'll be free. Amen? This is what we're invited to. In fact, Jesus goes on, he says, this is verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. The word there for save in that situation is protect and control. If you're seeking to save and protect and control your life, I will determine what happens. I will keep myself safe. I, won't want to, I don't want to be burned again. I don't want this to happen to me again. I have trust issues. I'm not going to give up. If that's how you live your life, you will lose that life. You will find the very thing that you're chasing after to elude you. You're trying to protect yourself from being burned again, and you're finding relationships in your life just stink. You're trying to protect never being hurt again, and you can't seem to find any direction for your life. Because if you're trying to control it, you'll lose it. But Jesus said, but whoever will lose his life, whoever will lay all of that down, tear down the walls, let go of control, and trust him completely. He loses his life for my sake, Jesus said. For my sake, Jesus said. Let me have control. Let me worry about what happens. Let me keep you safe. Trust me. He says, you will find the very thing that you so deeply long for. Today, you're going to hear a real life story of someone here in this room who walked through hurt, 
trauma, who responded with, like we all do, control, who reached a place of surrender, and as a result, God did something miraculous. That's the plan. That's the pattern. God does it for all of us. We saw it last week in the story of Saul in the scripture. You heard it last week in the story of Kyle. You heard it last week in the story of Jerry. You heard it before that in the story of Roseanne. It's a story, it's a theme that God is just repeating over and over again. And this morning, I want to introduce to you uh, a woman named Mary Lynch, who's going to come up this morning. Come on up, Mary. And this morning, Mary's going to tell her story. Now, you might not recognize Mary's face but you might recognize Mary's name. Have a seat, Mary. Mary, tell everybody uh, about your family and who you are so we can all get some uh, framework here for who you are. Okay. Um, As he said, my name is Mary Lynch. Um, I am Phil and Carol Lynch's daughter-in-law. I am married to their youngest son, James. Um, We've been married 30 years in November. Wow. We have three strapping young men. That's good. Thank you. Uh, we have three sons. Uh, our oldest, uh, Justin, is 27. Benjamin is 25. And Andrew is 21. And we just had our first grandbaby this last yeah, year. So that's awesome. noteworthy. It is. That's a big deal. <laughs> so God has worked in Mary's life powerfully recently. And to help us have some context about what has happened recently, it's necessary to go back in time. So Mary, take us back to growing up. What is life like for you? in the home? Well, I, uh, I grew up with, I'm the baby of nine. Uh, we had a Brady Bunch situation. Mm. My mother had five children. My dad had three. Uh, then they came together and had me. Uh, I grew up in a home uh, that was chaotic, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, volatile at times. Mm. Not just because there's nine kids. And not just because there's nine kids, because not all of them. I, I, I'm for, my, the eighth one was 14 when I was born. Wow. So I'm kind of the baby and the only child situation going on there. So yeah. uh, there were siblings that did live at home with me up until about four or five years old. Hmm. Um, you know, there was just uh, my father, uh, you know, he um, uh, had, a, you know, went through a time of having an alcohol problem. Um, there was just a lot of dysfunction, um, you know, um, chaos, like I said, a lot of volatile times, uh, that I just, um, remember, saw, lived through, um, you know, and so that's, that's kind of what my childhood, yeah. And as you can imagine in this setting with children in the room, Mary's being a little guarded Mm -hmm. with the words, but I think you could probably fill in the blank, right? with some things that uh, would happen in a situation like that where there's alcohol and anger and brokenness. It ended up being traumatic for you. Yeah, so it was very traumatic. I mean, it just brought up, you know, a lot of, um, well, let me back up. My father wasn't very present. Uh, He was gone a lot. Um, And, uh, you know, the times that he was home, like I said, it it, it was, um, it was a, hard to, it was hard to feel peace mm. in the home. Yeah. Um, you know, so of course that brought about for me, um, abandonment, 
uh, feelings of abandonment, neglect, um, feelings of unworthiness, mm. um, you know, insecurity, the feeling of needing to perform, mm. to get approval um, from the person that I really needed it from. Right. Um, it just really um, caused me to, there wasn't a lot of things that I felt like I could control in yeah. my life. Yeah. And so, uh, so when I felt like that I could control, man, I just, I mean, hunkered down and tried to fit the square peg in the round hole, in mm. the round hole, um, just lived in just in chaos inside, just chaos yeah. of just control and, and trying to, um, just, uh, make everything make sense in my life. Yeah. And that's part of your personality response to this. Mary is driven and is able to accomplish a lot. She's, if you're familiar with DISC, she's the D pattern. Uh, if you're, if you do more of the old school Tim LaHaye model, she's the choleric, the outgoing, driven leader, you know, that personality. So the response is I'm going to take control of my life. Because um, I don't want this to happen to me again, right? Yes. That, oh, yes. That becomes the pattern for you. Absolutely. And this is this is up in your middle school, elementary, middle school, high school. This is how you're living life at this point. Yes. Uh, yes, I, I, I did. I really tried to um, control everything around me. Um, just this like development of this maybe OCD pattern of the way of just, you know, everything had to be perfect and... I um, needed to just have that feeling of of control. I mean, yeah. there's really no other way yeah. um, to explain that or, or anything. You know, I just really was always um, in fight or flight. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> was very arm's length distance um, with people. I didn't want to, you know, be hurt yep. um, by, you know, uh, people who even seemed genuine even in my life that seemed genuine. I mean, this went on through my teenage years. It went on through my twenties for sure. Um, you know, and even into my thirties. Um, and I mean, I'm, you know, going to be 49. So, I mean, this has been a pattern for a very long time into yeah. the last couple of years wow. for sure. So talk about faith and church involvement in all of this. Is mm -hmm. that, does it have a place for you? It does. Yeah. I wrote down some notes just because I want to stay on track because I tend to be windy. Um, yeah, so I mean, going back to my childhood, uh, just to give a brief um, synopsis, is I uh, was saved when I was 11 years old. I uh, had not been in church nor been introduced to it until that point. Um, so somewhere around 11 or 12 years old, um, I asked Jesus to come into my heart mm. to, um, you know, take over, and and so I really didn't know what all that really meant in a childlike faith. Um, and so I went through, um, you know, church and, uh, started actually singing. Uh, I, uh, joined choirs and, um, different things like that. And eventually that led me to, um, singing solos in church and, um, you know, then that kind of went through my teenage years mm -hmm. into, um, you know, like I said, my early twenties. Right. Um, and, um, I kind of was going through the motions mm. of this church life. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus was real to you. Oh, sure. And mm -hmm. he was living in you. 
But this idea of giving up full control to Mm -hmm. him wasn't something you'd really practically walked in yet. No, because I knew Jesus as my savior. Yeah. I did not know him as Lord. Mm. I did not know, I did not understand the the true character of who Jesus is. Yeah. Let's fast forward some. Let's move into 2008. Let's move forward to that point because that becomes um, a, a moment of shifting. Things happen differently at this point. Talk about that. Well, again, I had, you know, been in church, um, you know, and, and like, like I said, I went through the motions. I was in church when the doors were open. I uh, attended Sunday school and Wednesday night church and choir practices and Sunday morning church. Uh, you know, I was, uh, my husband and I were diligent to have our children involved. Um, but what was happening in me was that I was doing all of these things not because I, and I'm just, this is honesty. I was doing all of these things, not because I was necessarily trying to uh, gain um, any kind of God's approval or because it was because I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing this out of love for him, honoring him with my actions. I was doing it because it made it, it felt good to feel like that I was uh, getting validation, love, acceptance from mm. others. Mm. It made me feel secure and because I was able to control all of those things. Like wow. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna follow the rules, I'm going to do all of fill in all of the or check off all of the blocks of what I felt like was expected of me. And, um, you know, I went through that for many, many, many years Mm. of, um, you know, now I'm not saying that there was not times that I felt the Holy Spirit move in my life. Sure, There weren't times that, you know, that that God did work in my life. I'm certainly not saying that that never happened. What I'm saying is, is that primarily the purpose for the things I was doing, my heart was not in the right place for it. So you're going through the motions. Yeah. But as long as you're going through the motions, Mm -hmm. it was, it felt, this is good. But I'm sure there had to be some days where you felt like you could check the boxes. Oh yes, it became exhausting. Yeah. When you're working in your own power and strength, it will exhaust you yeah. and it will make you bitter and it will make you angry and it will make you feel like you're just, you're, you're constantly spinning your wheels. Mm. There is no result. Like mm. you're doing all these things, but you're not getting any true freedom of res- and result in your life spiritually. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you do this, you do this over and over again. It's kind of like the definition of insanity, true. doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And that's where I was. And so, you know, I was in church. I was, I was, you know, going through the motions. I was on stage singing. I was doing all the things. Of course, this is when your church encounter started. Right. And um, so in that, that, that time period, around about the 2008 time period, man, I, I allowed myself, like I said, give or take a few years, probably give or take. I mean, um, I started kind of getting into... Um, I started allowing alcohol in my life. Mm. Um, and I mentioned that because that was, that, that, that for me was the, um, was the start of a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I started accepting socially drinking, uh, whether that be out at restaurants or just whatever, you know, and 
allowed that into my life. Um, it, it, it slowly escalated into not just social activities. It now was something that I allowed, I, well, I say I, I mean, I'm, uh, that we allowed in our home, that we um, accepted uh, that just would be a normal activity surrounding um, our lives. Um, and through that process, you know, I'm, I'm still singing at church. I'm still doing all these things. Um, and, uh, you know, so like with anything that draws you farther away from God, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. Because see, here's the thing that I have come to find out. And I just, I, I, I would like to say this. It's so important. The enemy does not come to everyone the same way. The enemy comes to us and dangles that real shiny, pretty thing, that glittery thing that affects us. He comes to us in what he knows we are weak in. Yeah. He comes to us in the things that he, he's very meticulous oh, yeah. about watching your life. Yep. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you're prone to give into. Yep. He watched me. He knew that I liked that lifestyle. Mm. And so because he doesn't come to you with a pitchfork and horns, exactly, he comes to you looking real, real pretty. The video of Taylor, yeah. uh, the, uh, the video of yeah. um, the, well, who the, the sun sets free is free indeed. It's the message promo video that we use early on in the series. Yeah. That is so true. But see what that is, is that's the end result. Yes. Because at first, everything looks so inviting, so enticing. You start making excuses. You start accepting behavior that you know is wrong, but it's better than the pressure of going through the motions. And then you end up in bondage to it. You're stuck inside it. It controls you. Absolutely. And that's where you found yourself. Yes. Because like I said, it's a slippery slope. So you kind of inch your way into accepting more and more Mm -hmm. and more. And those boundaries are pushed and pushed. And those lines are erased and crossed. And before you know it, you are allowing more and more and more sin, destructive behavior into your life. Mm. So where does all that lead you? I mean, that turns into some decisions that you make specifically about church and life and where does that take you? Well, it took me nowhere. Hmm. It took me to give up. I gave up. I stopped going to church. I stepped down from um, the ministry of, of music, uh, a gift that I know that God gave me to minister to others. Yeah. Um, I stepped away from that. I stepped away from church at all. I stepped away from um, you know, socializing with people who would be iron for me, iron sharpening iron. Yeah. Um, because I didn't want to be told. I, did, I, I let, let me put it this way. This is another lie from, from the enemy. He made it feel very easy and it was less pressure for me to live that lifestyle than it was to come to church and do all the things I was doing to feel validation. to feel acceptance, to feel love, to feel all the things that that I was looking for in other people and not in Jesus. So it leads to a dark place for you. Yes, very dark place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it begins to play out in relationships in your own heart. Now, as we've been talking about here at Vertical recently, those kind of decisions and that belief, it leads down a path and it 
a spiritual dis-ease leads to other mental, emotional, behavioral dis-eases as well. Behaviors that we might not have chosen some time back and they begin to have negative effects on us. They're not helping us. And every part of our life begins to be in chaos. Now, if we move forward to um, 2021, you go in for a routine mammogram. They call back with results, Mm -hmm. and it's not something you thought you were going to hear. What is that? So leading up to December of 2021, um, I would say that that is where you know, the last few years prior was where I really hit rock bottom in the way of behavior, the way of um, just falling the furthest away from God that I possibly could in my lifestyle. Um, So yes, I am, you know, living this life, um, And um, I go in for a routine mammogram, um, December 1st. And they call me back on the 3rd, uh, say they need to do more testing, more scans. So I go back in, I've been called in before, so I'm not just real too worried about it. You know, I I, I just said, okay, well. Uh, So they called me in, they said, okay, we actually need you to do, uh, we need you to come back in for an ultrasound. Did that. In the ultrasound, uh, the doctor, you know, he said, I'm seeing something suspicious. I would like to uh, schedule you for a biopsy. And, um, you know, I said, wow, okay, this is crazy. Uh, I just, again, you know, not at all what I was expecting. Um, You know, we don't have breast cancer that runs through our family. You know, it doesn't, you know, it's just never anything that, that I expected. So I, um go for the biopsy and this is on December 20th. And they said, okay, we're probably gonna call you back and it could be five to seven days. I said, okay, well, Christmas is coming up. Do not call me until after Christmas is over. Do not. Uh, I really would like to enjoy the holidays with my family and not have this on my mind, which let's be honest here. (laughs) It was on your mind. It was on my mind. (laughs) But you know, to have the actual like, oh boy, you know, uh, the actual truth of it. So anyway, Christmas passes, uh, December 27th. My doctor calls me and says, um, has the uh, mammography place called you? And I said, no. And I knew right then. Mm. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. And so he yep. said, um, you know, it's, uh, it is cancer and it is a rare form of breast cancer. Um, and it is a fast growing cancer. It was already two centimeters. And remember that was going for routine mammograms. Okay. So um, back to, so, you know, at gosh. (laughs) So I just remember at that time I got off. My husband did not know I was on the phone with a doctor. Uh, I was in the back room and I got off the phone with the doctor and I remember staring out the window in just disbelief. And I remember thinking to myself, oh boy, now what? And I started feeling like I couldn't, I had the thought to myself, 
I can't even really pray about this mm. because I have lived in rebellion. This is, this is where I was in my heart at that time. I've lived in rebellion for so long. Is God going to be my 911 all of a sudden that I'm going to, you know, reach out to him? So I, at that time, did not really feel like that I could reach out to God at that moment. So as you can imagine, not having hope in God, I mean, gosh, what do you have, yeah. you know, without that? And so I didn't have the, the feeling of being able to do that. So I walked into the living room. I let my husband know what the phone call was about. I was like this about it. He said, it's cancer. Um, we'll figure, crying. we're going to get through the holidays. We're going to figure things out. No emotion. Just, I mean, just instant, instant frenzy of like, we're going to fix, I'm going to fix this thing. I'm going to take control of this thing. And I am not going to cry about it. I am not going to be emotional about it. I am not going to let anybody see that I'm scared, nervous. Um, You know, I'm not going to let anybody, I'm I'm not going to allow that because if I do, I lose control. Yeah. So here in this moment, I just want to slow this down for a second because this is all of her past comes rushing up, all of the hurt, all the trauma of the past. I've got to control. And then now remove God out of the scenario for her at this moment because she doesn't feel like she can call on him. Now here is, I've got to manage the situation and it's all on me. This is what, this is where you are. I'm going to control this. I will do this. So. Yeah. And you know, so I start, you know, just, um, again, going through this panic scenario, well, panic inside, panic scenario inside of like, okay, what do I need to do? Uh, What do I need to focus on to make this thing, um, you know, work for me? What, 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 you know, I I did, there was just a plethora of emotions um, going through me, but I didn't want to seem, I, for me to feel weak or vulnerable to me to show any of those emotions that I was feeling on the inside, it, it, it made me feel a lack of control. It made me feel Mm. like that somehow I was controlling the situation by keeping this, you know, stoic, um, uh, you know, uh, aura about me, you know? Um, and, uh, so anyway, immediately I just start trying to do research and how am I going to figure this thing out? And, um, I don't know if, how, like, if you want me to go here or not, but. Yeah. Well, let me, let me put a few more things together here. Let me say this first, because you have sin in your life does not mean you're going to get cancer. Let me just remove that from the table here today. God is going to use this in Mary's life, but the message here is not sin equals cancer. Okay. Now you choose a path for healing that is unconventional. So that's not this story either. That's not what the story is about is here is the only way to pursue your healing for cancer. It was a path you chose. Um, Talk about why that path is significant in your story because it, it leads to you have to make some decisions mm-hmm. about yeah. life. Talk about yeah. that. Yeah, so I would really, I mean, uh, yeah, so please uh, please understand that in no way, shape, or form am I saying that sin <laughs> leads to cancer. Right. No, n- never in my heart. So I, I, if I, I definitely don't want to communicate that. Right. What I want to communicate is God is 
more concerned about our character than our comfort. Yeah. And there are things I believe that he allows in our life not necess- not because of sin. Right. There's things that are allowed in our life to bring us to a place of dependency. Yes. Laying our life down, surrendering to his plan and will for our for our life. Yeah. So no, absolutely not. Do I do I think that sin brings cancer to you right. or any other illness? So I want to make that clear. Yeah, exactly. And this treatment plan is about to require a level of surrender for you. Mm-hmm. Talk about what that is. Yeah. So um, I did some. So about five years ago, I believe, Dee Dee, uh, Megan was diagnosed. Yeah. So about five years ago, my niece Megan uh, Tucker, formerly Megan Rainey, was um, diagnosed with cancer. And in this process, I start I start researching for her other options other than conventional methods. And so um, fast forward to my diagnosis. My diagnosis, um, immediately I knew, because God had showed me these things five years prior, um, I knew that I wanted to try to go a more um, integrative, um, a different way than com- the, the, the traditional treatments. Right. Um, and so through the process, so this happens at the end of December, so January, February, and March. Okay, so through the month of January, I start doing research, and I find this place in Mesa, Arizona, called an Oasis of Healing. And so it's it's it you know it has this um, this treatment center that was more along the lines of what I was looking at for a treatment. So in that process, you know, God is really, really, I mean. His spirit is just trying to envelop. I mean, he, it, it, it's enveloping mm. me. He is speaking to my heart. He is softening my heart. Wow. Um, I started, I started opening myself up to him, and because I just got to a point of the end of myself in in a, in a way at that yeah. point where I said, "Okay, God, I'm scared, mm. and I don't know what to do, but this is what I think that I want to do." But this is a very scary situation for me because I'm le- I'm gonna you know if I go this route I'm leaving my family I'm leaving friends I'm leaving all of what I am comfortable and feel secure in, and so I need direction. I don't know what to do. I'm feeling lost. Mm. Um, so we start looking at different options that might be here in in the Dallas area. I did find a place. Uh, there was many other things that came up that just that um, God or that was brought up to me that would be a much better transition than going, you know, two states away for an eight week period, seven week period. But the whole time God was saying, he, God was not giving me peace about any of those other options or choices. Mm. He kept pushing me towards Arizona, this facility in Arizona. He kept pushing me that direction Mm. along the way. I start listening to worship music. Hmm. I start reading my Bible. I start praying more. Wow. God's spirit is ministering to me through this. He is telling me, I love you. Hmm. I I love you. You are accepted. Hmm. I'm here with you. I am your peace. I am your strength. Wow. Surrender control, surrender control. Mm. I had not gotten fully to that yet. Yeah, but he's he's calling you to that. Oh man. And you hear it. And it's heavy. Yeah. It's heavy. It's one of those 
heartbeat, heavy yeah. heartbeats. Yeah. You know, I feel him calling me, softening my heart, mm. starting the process of giving me a heart of flesh in exchange for my heart of stone. And so this means, again, leaving family, leaving everything you're comfortable with, that's releasing control. You're releasing control because of, uh, you're starting to release control because he's speaking to you. And then the treatment itself is challenging. Any kind of cancer treatment is challenging. Uh, Talk about just a little bit, just so people have a context of what this, uh, how God is using this to release control from you. What, what's difficult about it for you? Well, every, every aspect of it. Yeah. Um, you know, he, I felt compelled and I felt no peace in any other, um, any other direction or way of, my li- a way of treating the cancer for me in yeah. my mind was to be sent there. Yeah. So yes, releasing control of, I am about to leave everything that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I'm about to leave everything that I feel secure in. Um, I get to the clinic, you know, at the beginning of March and I am, you know, in this whole situation where I, um, just feel so just out of control and it was just God pushing me and pushing me and pushing me to release, to release control, trust me, have faith. Mm. And in, in my mind, I can keep hearing him say, just wait. I'm doing something big in your life. Just wait. Mm. You can trust me. And so, you know, I go through all of this and um, it, 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 was, it was just very, very, very tough yeah. and very vulnerable to get to a spot where I felt like I had no control over anything. So there's one aspect of the treatment that you've told Heather and I about that yeah. is just it's just brutal. Any kind of cancer treatment is brutal. Yes. I recognize that. Absolutely. Talk about what that was for you. What there was one aspect uh, that yeah. was hard. Um, so you know they did a various different um, types of treatments there. That again a little bit more unconventional. But the one that was um, the hardest for me was a treatment called hyperthermia. So that is heat. Um, they uh, put you. I did this treatment once a week. They put you in um, a chamber. Um, you know, the only thing that's uh, is your your head is out, but everything else is you're in a chamber. You're in there for six hours, and so the purpose of it is um, high high levels of heat. So they want your internal body temperature at 105 degrees. Um, they put you in there for two hours. They heat your body up for two hours. They peak you at 105 for two hours, and then they lower your body temperature for two hours because, of course, if you're up internally at that heat, there has to be a process of that so your body just isn't going to shock. But the reason and the purpose for that particular treatment, which, by the way, is the reason that I ultimately ended up choosing to go to Mesa, which Mm. God had complete other plans, really the depth of it, um, of Mm. why I went there. Um, And the reason for that particular treatment is because it, um, you know, I was told that it reaches cancer stem cells, cancer stem cells. Mm -hmm. But um, that was a brutal experience. Oh my goodness. I would have rather done anything else there every day of the week than have to go through, Mm. through that. So this brings you to a place of, um, of God and you having a meeting where you, there's a moment, I'm sure there are many moments where you and he are together, but it brings you to a there's a singular moment where you really reach this, I'm going to have to yield and release control. Talk about that moment, what that's like. 
So we'd been there four weeks, the first, uh, but only at that time I had gone through three weeks of actual treatment. The first week is orientation, different things like that. So I am exhausted. I am tired of fighting. I am homesick. I am tired physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way. I am just exhausted. And I'm having, uh, but through this process, remember that God's spirit is speaking to me. It's ministering to me. It's drawing me close. I am doing uh, devotionals every morning. I am really having a lot of quiet time with God. I'm praying. I'm asking for very specific things along the journey. God is really doing a work in my life. Mm. One morning, okay, so I'm going through all these treatments and I actually, I think the night before I had a conversation with my husband and I was like, I'm done. I wanna go home. I can't, I I don't wanna do this anymore. We'll figure something else out. And I am on a major calorie deficit because of you know the uh, way that they were handling uh, my diet there, um, and so I'm I've lost like 30 pounds by the way at the end of this whole thing in seven weeks, and I am on a calorie deficit. I am sick from some of the treatments. I am uh, just just worn down physically and mentally and emotionally. I'm just worn down. So I tell my husband, I want to, you know, I want to go home. I'm done. And of course he encouraged me, reminded me of my why. Let's see what God's going to do. And so I said, you know, okay, got myself together. The next morning I'm doing a Bible study. I'm not reading out of my devotion. And this may sound so simple to most of you. And again, I've been in church since I was 11. The verse that was in that particular devotion that day was, be still and know that I am God. But in the devotion, it was said in a way that I had never heard it before. Mm. Stop fighting and know that I am God. And so in that moment, I was like, okay. And I got down on the floor beside my bed. And I said, God, I surrender all to you. I cannot do this anymore. And I'm not just talking about the throes of cancer. I'm talking about from day one. I surrender all of this to you. I know that you love me. I know that you have forgiven me. I know that I am accepted and beautiful in your eyes. My soul and spirit are beautiful in your eyes and you love me. And like you said, this is not just this treatment. This is childhood. This is neglect, trauma, pain, guilt. This is all in this moment that it breaks for you. Yes, and it was... It was so, in that moment, I just, crying out to God, laying it at his feet, it changed everything about my life right in that moment. Hmm. And that was that morning, about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, before I was about to head to the treatment center. 
Now, you've got three weeks of treatment to go at this point, I guess. I do. Mm-hmm. And this change happens. Yeah. And you were, you were at a point of, I'm done. Yes. Now, now, where are you? Three weeks to go. Man, God just, he was waiting. See, God is a gentleman. He does not force us into making those decisions. Yeah. Like you said earlier. Yeah. He wants our hearts. He wants our surrender. But he is not going to force us into that. Right. We make that step towards him because he's always there waiting and willing to, to draw us in. Yeah. Right when, when, I, when I surrendered, everything about me changed. Everything about the situation changed. Mm. I walked out of the room. My husband said... You, you good? Everything's okay? <laughs> like, right away he noticed. Something's different. I found this out later. Went to treatment that day, went to the clinic that day, and um, I walked in and I said, I, before I walked in, I said, okay, God, we've got this. You're with me. I've got this. Thank you. Just praising him for the work that he was doing in my life. Wow. Me seeing that... He, this was never about physical cancer. Yeah, exactly. Ever. Yep. It was about spiritual cancer in my, in my body that was growing, that was taking over. And God said, no more. I'm going to separate you. Mm. You are not, you may feel lonely in this situation, but you are not alone. Mm. I'm going to separate you so that you can A, have the t- I can give you the tools necessary to do m- my purpose in your life yeah. later on down the road so that you can know my voice among all the other voices. And number three, to make me unrecognizable to others yeah. that only knew me by my wounds. And when I came to that realization, when God showed me those things, it changed the trajectory of my life, of the outcome of my treatment, meaning how I handled it, that I gave it all to him. And I said, Lord, whether you heal me of this physical cancer or not, I will honor you with my life because you deserve it. You are faithful. Yeah, because you're not doing this just so that you can be healed. You're doing it because this is what God is doing in you. This is your response to him. Because whether whether I was physically healed or not, that control was still all consuming. Mm. So one way or another, I'm I'm not winning. Right. Either either way. Yeah. He who seeks to control his life lose it. That's yes, where you were. That is absolutely yes, absolutely yeah. where I was. We fast forward. You come to the end of the treatment. Mm-hmm. You meet with the doctor at the end of the treatment. Describe that conversation. Um, well, so what happened was a few weeks before that, kind of like right in the middle, right before my surrender, I actually, um, the doctor who had uh, been in, um, in it was my, the residing doctor, um, all of a sudden he decided that he wasn't going to do that anymore. <laughs> he decided that in the middle of my treatment that he was going to um, go to another clinic and so an interim doctor had to come in uh, that he announced this, you know, to us to the patients that were there, handed us a piece of paper and basically said, I have two days left and good luck. And they'll be, you know, so now thankfully 
the nurses had it to, you know, they, they were the ones that the, the protocol didn't change. I was right. still receiving my treatments. I was still yep. getting all the things I needed to, but there was an interim doctor that came in. Well, by the way, that sent me into a, I was gonna say, a that complete makes, and total panic. That makes like, the control issue just rise back oh up. Oh my goodness. Yep. Yes. Just yep. fear, just consume with fear and panic and now what, and you know, this and that and the other. So anyway, Fast forward then. So that happened about the time that my, right before my surrender happened, because it was just like all these things kept happening and I'm going, oh no, you know, I, I can't, con- this is where, because that's where I got to the end of my rope, which yeah. is, you know, like I can't control this. Like I'm exhausted. Um, so fast forward three weeks, we go in. Um, it's my last week there. Um, uh, every Monday we did labs and we would meet with the doctor once a week and he would kind of go over everything that was happening. But because there was this interim doctor there, and he was just kind of there to just kind of oversee. Mm-hmm. Um, then I find out that the the, the actual founder of the place, um, who actually lived in Thailand, was coming to the clinic wow. to take over for a few months while they were to find a more permanent resident doctor. So I'm like, okay, well, this could be good news. Uh, you know, so we go in for my, this is a Monday, um, we go in for my appointment with him. He sits down and talks to me. Of course, you know, he's just gotten there. So he's looking over everybody's uh, charts as, you know, they're coming in. Um, and he goes over everything with me. And um, I said, you know, this is my last week here. Um, I really haven't gotten a whole lot of news. I've, I've, I've heard that my cancer markers have remained normal over the last couple of weeks, but I'm not really getting into any definitive answers. Like, right. can you, can you help me out with that? So he said, he looked over all my, all my blood work, all the scans, all of everything that had been done. And he said, yeah, you, you're, you're good. You don't have any detectable cancer. Wow. Wow. And I just, after weeks of not really getting a whole lot of information, it was like God was just kept whispering through this chaos, through these things that you weren't expecting. Trust me. Mm. Keep your eyes on me. I have your best interest in heart. Mm. I'm doing something in your heart and in your life. Mm. Trust me. And... And uh, so the doctor told me the news. My husband and I looked at each other like, we didn't even know how to really process it at the moment. And of course, afterwards, I was like, of course, elated and so thankful to the Lord. And just, wow, what a journey. Just, And I just want to say too, that there's no, you know, there's no amount of time that we, there's just, if I could say, it would be hours, hours and hours. If I could say every single thing that God, mountains that crumbled in front of us through this process, things that seemed so impossible to get through, God blazed a trail every step of the way for us. Yeah, and James, uh, talking with James, he says, yeah, this is a different woman today. This is not the woman that I had known before. And so God has truly done a work in her. Uh, I've told James and Mary, we'll get them on the podcast and we'll do a little bit deeper dive into this whole thing so that you can know more of what's happening. Because yeah, we've, we've sat for hours and hours and have listened to all the things that God has done in their life. It's amazing. This is the very small version this morning that you're hearing. So again, I want to state some things again. This story is not about cancer. This story is not about the treatment plan. This story is about God wants us to be able to trust him 
with our life. In the Bible story last week, we saw it was Saul who was struck down by a bright light and he was blinded and forced to go the next three days blind into the city. For every person is different. There are things that God wants to do in our life and he will bring, as Mary said, what's needed to bring us to the place where we yield and surrender control and give up our trust issues and trust him. So this is Mary's story. Not about cancer, not about the treatment, but about surrendering control. Now, I would guess every one of us in the room can identify with some places in our life where we have yet to yield control, where there's still the trust issues, where we're like, okay, God, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not sure I can yield and give up and surrender to you. But you're hearing this story. You're hearing the scripture. You're hearing Jesus say, he who seeks to control his life will lose it. But he who will yield it, for my sake, you'll find it. As we close this morning, I'd like for us to pray. And pray specifically for each of us, but maybe even more specifically for those who are walking through a spot where you'd say, pray for me. Because I've got some areas, it's hard right now to give up the control, some trust issues. And I'm going to ask Mary to pray. But before she does, just curious, who in the room would say, pray for me? I, I have trust issues. Take a look, Mary. Thank you. Pray for me. Father, we come to you with a grateful heart for your love for us. I say thank you, Father, for what you have done in my life, knowing that you desire to do that in all of our lives. Father, I pray for everybody here that is dealing with the false sense of control that they are battling with. I pray that they would surrender to you. I pray that they would accept and believe who they are in you and that you have come to set them free from the grips of the enemy and the lies that he tells us. Even if the people here that raise their hands do not believe what it is that you say about them is true, the enemy does. He knows that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He knows that God, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. He knows that you have made us the head and not the tail. Yes. He knows this, but he will still try to get us in a lifestyle of defeat, questioning your promises over their lives. I pray in the name of Jesus that the enemy's plans will be canceled. Yes, Lord. 
that Lord Jesus, you would remind them of your kindness and your compassion. And that was all displayed on the cross and that they don't have to bear those things anymore. They don't have to strive to control because really the case is you're not controlling a whole lot of anything. You're either giving control to Adonai, the king of the universe, or you are allowing the enemy to control. And that is true for all of our lives because Lord, the enemy is a bully and he wants us in defeat. He wants us in despair. He wants us to believe that the sacrifice, the atoning death on the cross wasn't enough to cover the deep sins. He wants us to believe that. He wants us to believe that the guilt, the shame, the things that we've done. Now, it's too much. Father, I pray right now that you would cast out that lie in everybody in this room. We have been given the victory. Thank you, Jesus. And help us to live in that and live in your promises. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Amen.